Hey there, Cowboy fans. Welcome to the Unbiased Podcast on America's Team. I'm your host, Austin Smith, and joining me, as always, is Coach Ty Rogers, one of our analysts over at Pigskin Nut and a lifelong Cowboy fan, and we are the Big D Beatdown. And we are brought to you today by pigskinnut.com, the soon-to-be undisputed king of football news and podcasts. Whether you're in your car, taking a break from work, or just relaxing at the house, it's always better to be doing so when you're getting your football fix. We break down players on our pro football scouting show, as well as tackle some of the most current and controversial topics on our football roundtable. We discuss some of the all-time greats on our show wide right and put out exclusive shows on some of your favorite NFL teams, such as the Giants, Eagles, Browns, Broncos, Chiefs, Steelers, and of course, your Dallas Cowboys. Make Pigskin Nut your ultimate source for football news and podcasts. If you want quality football analysis with independent opinions from people who know and understand the X's and O's of the game, head on over to Pigskin Nut. Remember, guys, Pigskin Nut for those crazy about football. All right, Coach Ty. Um, for four teams uh, left, they are uh, they are still focusing on their season, but for. For many other fan base, bases, including our Dallas Cowboys, we are we are already into the offseason, um, and we're ready to start kind of kicking the the tires on free agency and the draft and uh, and and contracts and and who I mean obviously this this coaching staff is starting to come into place under Mike McCarthy. But before we do all that today, we are going to focus on the recent news of. Um, of this centennial class in the Hall of Fame. For the 100th year, they wanted to make sure and and get a number of players, who, wh- whether they're current or whether they're past players, coaches, contributors, um, to get them in if they deserved. And, and so many names on this list, even when you looked down at the finalists, uh, that, that ended up being included um, that really are deserving. And, you know, obviously we got the news this weekend of the first one uh, that is a Dallas Cowboy, and that's Jimmy Johnson. You know, that uh, such a touching, uh, you know, spectacle that they had there on Fox um, on on Sunday uh, during halftime of the football game. Uh, the gentleman uh, representing the Hall of Fame shows up uh, there on the, the halftime show, and everybody's smiling, and Jimmy – Johnson's just grinning into ear to ear and ends up getting a little, you know, choked up a little bit. You see Troy Aikman listening in and he's getting choked up, you know, um, just an, just an, a, a, a terrific sight if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan. And, uh, and let's start with that, you know, Coach Ty, you know, just talk about, you know, just what you were feeling when you saw that. Cause I know for me, I got, I, you know, I was getting a little choked up too, man. I was, I was grinning just as big as Jimmy was and, and Aikman and everybody else. How were you feeling when you saw that, Coach Ty? You know, if you grew up here in Dallas in the 90s and you don't feel some connection to Jimmy Johnson's election to the Hall of Fame, I really, question if you really understood what was going on with this franchise and how important his role was in it um jimmy johnson is the architect he's the reason that the cowboys won the super bowl they did in the 90s um and even the super bowl that barry switzer won to be completely honest was won because jimmy johnson's roster was the was still in place when he left. Um, that is how good a coach Jimmy Johnson was for that group of, of players. Um, 
and you know understand a couple of things about you know that connection with Troy and Jimmy. Uh, you know, Troy made it very clear when they you know asked him about it later uh, about why he felt the way he did. Uh, Jimmy Johnson had recruited Troy Aikman out of high school and had talked to him about coming to Oklahoma State when he was there. Um, and then, you know, tried to get him to come to Miami when he transferred out of Oklahoma. Um, he didn't do it. But, you know, he had a relationship with Troy or with uh, Jimmy Johnson in some form or fashion from the age of 16 or 17 on. And the, the, the time that a coach spends with somebody is very, very short in most cases. Um, I have, you know, taught and coached as a high school coach and then a couple of years as a college coach um, and a year as a pro coach for, you know, uh, most of my adult life. And even in the three or four years that I've had uh, kids, and some even shorter than that, a year or two years, I have people that still keep in contact with me that um, I've been invited to their weddings. I've, you know, been there when they've had their children and, uh, and and many, many other events that I've been blessed to be a part of. I can't imagine over a 15-year career that ended up with, you know, <laughs> uh, Super Bowls and, and the success of this franchise had, how you couldn't feel that emotion. Um, and, you know, kudos to the Pro Football Hall of Fame for how they did it and, and the way that they did the announcement. They did the same thing for Bill Cowher of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, on uh, CBS and the, uh, you know, uh, the personalities you had on this team, the, the group of players that you had. I mean, this is not the Dallas Cowboys of the Jason Garrett era. Um, you had some people on this team that a lot of other coaches could not have handled successfully. Um, and again, no disrespect to them, but they would tell you uh, Michael Irvin, there's nobody could have handled him the way that Jimmy Johnson did. Um, you know, uh, Charles Haley. Uh, I, I've been blessed to know Charles Haley for many years. Uh, he was uh, a part of the church that uh, I grew up in. And um, he will tell you how important Jimmy Johnson was to his sanity. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know that Charles Haley or the, you know, may have heard only recently. Charles Haley had a bipolar disorder when he was playing with the Cowboys. And Jimmy Johnson was able to handle him. Um, Deion Sanders. Most people consider Deion Sanders a cancer in the locker room. And he was nothing but positive here. And so on and so forth. And you can continue through. Um, the, the, the Dallas Cowboys would not have gotten anywhere without Jimmy Johnson as their head coach. And this is a guy who also, we forget sometimes because of the success, Stuck through a season where he won one game. Um, the guy was just the quintessential professional in how he dealt with people. Um, and for somebody like myself who, you know, still holds on to those memories of those teams, which I consider the greatest football teams of all time. And, and I think that if you legitimately debate them against anybody, including the, the Patriots dynasty, uh, you know, or what you want to call the Patriots dynasty during this 2000s, a little different era. Um, the Dallas Cowboys of that time period would play with them and, and I think would beat them. And to have the guy who was that architect 
and did so much to bring back and, and reestablish trust in the Cowboys, to reestablish the fan base. People forget that, you know, after Jimmy Johnson was brought in, um, you know, right after and Jerry Jones took over the franchise, people were bailing on the Cowboys. Um, Jimmy Johnson restored that trust. And nothing against Jerry Jones, who is also in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but Jimmy Johnson restored that trust. And it was a sad day when he left. So kudos to Jimmy. And, uh, you know, any Cowboys fan who is a true Cowboys fan has got to feel good and had to feel good in that moment to watch him receive that nomination. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I have to be honest with you. It made it feel all that more special, especially for me anyway. It made it feel all that more special because I truly never believed he would get in. I, and it's not that his time here in Dallas wasn't special because it was. He, and you, you hit the nail on the head. He was the architect to th- this, I mean, to this, this group. I mean, you, you talk about some of the difficult players to, to handle. I mean, Nate Newton even. And, and we talk about some of this stuff has to do with off-the-field stuff, but other parts of it just have to do with uh, Nate Newton. I mean, coming into training camp, just wanting him to come in in shape. I mean, I used to laugh my tail off at Nate Newton when he was on ESPN Radio in Dallas, and he'd tell stories about, about you know, them them being strict with him and, no, you are going to show up at this weight, and if you're not, we're going to get you down to this weight and you're going to stay at that weight throughout camp. And and he'd have lapses. He'd call Chinese restaurants and, and pizza and have it delivered, and, and, and he'd come downstairs and the coaching staff would be eating his pizza. Because they, they, they stopped it at the at the, the front door to their dormitory. They said, no, sir, Nate Newton don't get pizza. He's on a diet now that we're in training camp. And just some of those things. I mean, Jimmy, you know, um, listening to the talks about some of the jogs they would go on in the morning, him and his coaching staff, you know, listening to the story about the Herschel Walker trade uh, where Jimmy's going on a, a jog and nobody knows what's going on except Jimmy. And they're all jogging, and they're thinking it's just another day. They come back, and and word is, hey, man, we've got the deal done. And Jimmy's like, all right. And everybody's looking around like, what's going on? And, oh, yeah, by the way, guys, Herschel, uh, we're sending him to Minnesota. And, I mean, listen to that. It just, you know, so much he – in such a short period of time, he affected here that made that 90s Dallas uh, dynasty team. But, guys, at the end of the day, he coached nine seasons in the NFL. Nine. I mean, his career record, 80 and 64. Guys, I mean, you know, that's not all overly th- that impressive. Um, yes, two Super Bowls. That's, I mean, in nine seasons is outstanding. But – you know, you I, it, it's not just Jimmy. And that's the thing. I want to make it clear, guys. I always hoped he would get in. But you continuously looked at the competition. Even in this group of finalists, you look at Mike Holmgren, who's got 161 victories to his name. Got 13 playoff wins to his name. Two NFC championships and a Super Bowl. You look at Dan Reeves, has got 190 wins to his name. You know, 11 wins in the playoffs. Um, you know, three AFC championship appearances, one NFC championship appearance. Dick Vermeil, 120 wins to his name, six playoff games, one NFC title, one uh, or one NFC championship appearance, one Super Bowl appearance. I mean, these are, 
I mean, the, 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 these are guys that have just – Dan Reeves was in the NFL forever, it seemed like. Mike Holmgren, I mean, this is a guy who went through the Favre years, I mean, and, and on to time in Seattle, front office in Cleveland, Dick Vermeil turning the, the – you know, and I know we're not Eagles fans on this show, but doing what he did for the Eagles in their day and, and coming back here and kind of – I'm not going to say getting things started for that that special Rams run, but he really was. I mean, he he was kind of the one that was already collecting talent there and 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 really did some special things with the Rams. Um, overall, I mean, it, it just it, there were so many quality candidates, and I just looked at Jimmy and knowing that they were only going to pick two. I just said, man, I just, I just don't know if it's going to happen. And and considering some of the coaches that we'll probably have coming up, you know, uh, you know, down the road, I mean, I wondered if it ever would. But uh, you know, having said that, that made it that much more special. When I saw that guy coming out, I'm like, oh my goodness, no, they chose him. I I just, man, it, that that was so awesome. And and I'm I'm with you, but I was I was there through the '90s, man. I was. Uh, I still remember that one win season. That one win season. My my mom's parents came over the 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 day that we were playing the Washington Redskins, top team in the NFL. We hadn't won a game, and they wanted to take us all out to get a bite to eat and and go do uh, uh, sightseeing or something. I, I, I can't remember what it was and I did not want to go, but I got, I was not given the choice. Hey, nanny and pop want to do something then we're going to go do it. My dad was the only one that stayed home and he said, have fun. I said, dad, I got a feeling we're going to beat these Redskins. And that was our one win season. That was, that was, you know, when Jimmy was, was just fresh and we were wondering how it was going to turn out. But I was a kid of those nineties teams and and man, just the the greatness, the talent level across the board that he helped put together. Offensive line, you know, skill positions, defense, front seven, the secondary, special teams, everything. You know, Jimmy Johnson was just an absolute. I mean, just a genius when it comes to putting the puzzle together, acquiring the right talent, making it fit together, putting it in a system, growing coaches, by the way. For all y'all that remember the Dave Wanstets and the, the, the North Turners, and I mean, you could go on and on with some of these names, but... But I mean, just some some great coaching names, some, you know, and in, in, in the coaching tree that he has underneath him. Um, just an absolute, you know, privilege to get a, got a chance to watch them. Um, you know, obviously that ended up being a sad ending between him and Jerry because Jerry wanted his fair share of the credit. He wanted to put the architect's hat on and and that wasn't what Jimmy was going to allow. And, you know. I, I think I speak for us both, Coach Ty, and I'm sure I speak for every Cowboy fan when I say, man, you, you just wonder if Jimmy and Jerry couldn't have have just figured out a way to make it work together, just how special that team could have been. I mean, this this New England Patriots dynasty that we've seen now for going on nearly two decades has been something very, very special and, you know, the idea that the Cowboys couldn't have made a run like that, you know, through 
the Irvin Aikman Emmett years through, you know, a lot of those young defenders that we were getting, bringing in the Darren Woodson's and, uh, you know, so, uh, those kinds of guys, just all the talent that we were bringing in. It, it's, it's fun to think about what we could have been. And then it's also disappointing at the same time, but but yeah, definitely hats off to Jimmy Johnson and what a great honor it was to get a chance to see that and uh, and know that, you know what, the Dallas Cowboys once again are being represented in the Hall of Fame by someone who, uh, who really made a difference in this franchise. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a, a quick break now. When we come back, we've got other news as far as this 2020 Hall of Fame class is concerned. Some good, some Still disappointing. We'll get to all that when we get back here on the Big B Beatdown. And we are back here on the Big B Beatdown. I'm your host, Austin Smith, joined as always by Coach Ty Rogers. And we are talking about the 2020 Hall of Fame class that includes Jimmy Johnson, former Dallas Cowboys coach, as well as former Dallas Cowboys safety Cliff Harris. Um, now, for those of y'all listening, yes, you're not going to hear the third name that we all thought uh, belonged in this, uh, and that this was finally going to be his opportunity. Uh, Drew Pearson still uh, is being left out of uh, of where he belongs, in my personal opinion. I am a huge fan of Drew Pearson. I've had the opportunity to meet him. Um, he is a a character, uh, you know. Nonetheless, I mean, uh, just a guy with still at his age, just loads of energy, but but also, you know, a guy that's that is um, just an absolute fan of the game, someone who is just a huge fan of the Cowboys, you know, no matter how many years go by, such a huge fan of the game. He, you know, talked football with me, and that was uh, really something that uh, that I'll never forget. But, uh, but before we get to the disappointment about him being left out, let's talk about Cliff Harris. Um, you know, uh, I, I have to say, Coach Ty, you know, this was, you know, this was before our time, but – but Cliff Harris, you know, going back and, and, and thinking about that doomsday defense, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, um, and, and some of the things that, that made that group special. I mean, and, and we've had a number of really special defenders, you know, you know, play for this franchise. Cliff Harris was always one that, that you know, always kind of got left on the back burner, even though his story is uh, – I mean, his numbers – are just incredible. When you look about a two-time Super Bowl winner, a six-time Pro Bowler, four-time first-team All-Pro, guys, that is something at a position where one person gets it. This isn't wide receiver. This isn't tackle. This isn't defensive end or linebacker. No, this is this was free safety. One guy, four times, he was the best football had to offer during his time with the Dallas Cowboys. Two times, he was the second best. Two times, second team All-Pro. On the 70s All-Decade team. Coach Ty, you know, talk about Cliff Harris and, and what it means, you know, to, to have another another player, not necessarily the first one you think about on some of those Super Bowl teams, but have another guy from a, a, a group that was very special, helped build the reputation of America's team. Talk about Cliff Harris and how, how excited you are to see that his name's being put into that 2020 class. Well, I mean, this is a guy who's just, like you said, an incredible story um, about what he did and his accomplishments. Free agent out of 
Wachita Baptist University. And by the way, Coach Ty, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say this too. My brother played right across the street at Henderson State. And folks, when I say right across the street in in, in Arkadelphia, I mean literally right across the little two-lane street, these two universities, one of the longest standing rivalries that's played every single year. It is a division two rivalry, so people don't hear about it. But yes, Henderson State, Wachita Baptist, um, you know, that's that the not the biggest schools, but yes, uh, you know, coming out of Wapachita Baptist, I I remember hearing that story about Cliff Harris, and and uh, I just remember loving him all that much more after hearing his story out of Wapachita Baptist. But go right ahead, Coach. Yeah, I mean, coming out of Wapachita Baptist, free agent, doesn't end up taking the the starting job until a little a little before halfway in his rookie season. Finishes a ten year career, uh, nine playoff teams. Seven NFC champion or NFC East titles, um, you know, really defined with Charlie Waters what it meant to have a physical, large, really hard hitting uh, secondary. That was what the Doomsday defense had. Uh, you know, that, that made them so difficult to deal with for many teams. Is that? I mean, up front, we all know about Tutal Jones. We all know about Randy White. But those two guys kept a lot of the the, the passing threats that, that they dealt with from being able to, you know, throw it deep. And, and when they did, a lot of times the guys got obliterated by Harris um, and, and Charlie Waters. Um, like you said, 1970s all decade. Uh, I mean, there are very few people who, you know – <laughs> had the impact on a position that came from a smaller background. I mean, just like I said, the, uh, he is somebody who a lot of us, like you said, with Cowboys fans, didn't get to see very much of who were, you know, uh, not, you know, older. Um, but the guy was the Steve Atwater, the um, Ronnie Lott of his time period. And the enforcer. Right, he was the guy who come down, come down, you know, across the middle and take out a tight end, take out a, a wide receiver, you know, and the guy was just unbelievable. I mean, sixteen fumble recoveries and a ton of those from from hits that he made. Um, you know, the, this is the definition of a physical safety. Um, somebody who has been kind of right there multiple times, you know, as far as possible induction. Uh, unfortunately, you know, he, he was someone who up until this year uh, was not very different, uh, you know, from uh, the situation that Drew Pearson's in is that he was a guy that people went, wait a minute, why is he not in? You know, member of all decade team, not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for Drew Pearson. We'll get to it in a second. But uh, again, a, a dominant player who came out of nowhere and you know defined physicality in that era so i mean congrats uh and yeah somebody that if you haven't watched him on film go watch a couple of plays it's uh he is he you know and this was way before they had anything you know uh dealing with any type of targeting any type of of worrying about whether <laughs> you placed your head under somebody's chin there are plenty of you know what uh uh, you know, Jr. on you know on uh, W you know WWE would call slobber knockers. 
<laughs> uh, that, that he was a part of. So uh, definitely a worthy choice by the Hall. Yeah, you know, and I, I did. The second that we found out this information, I text my my youngest brother, who, like I said, uh, deep snapped right across the street. Um, and I said, Bud, the best player, to, the best football player to ever step foot in Arkadelphia is going into the NFL Hall of Fame. And let me tell you, that's a serious rivalry. My brother, he, he he had to grit his teeth to it, but in the same sense, he's a Dallas Cowboy fan through and through. So he he smiled and said, yeah, bud, you know, good for him. And if I'm not mistaken, it was my brother's junior year at Henderson State when they ended up making the um, – I believe it was the conference most valuable player award naming it after Cliff Harris. And, and I'd have to go back. Um, I'd have to go back and I, I, for the life of me, I can't think of the conference's name now, but bottom line is, 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 you know, the, the MVP, if I'm not mistaken, the MVP of that conference, which has got Henderson state, Arkadelphia, I believe Harding's in there. A number of the Oklahoma schools, um, are in there as well, the, the Division II Oklahoma schools. The the player of the year, you know, gets the Cliff Harris Award. And and the year that they decided to change it to that uh, was, I believe, my brother's junior year. I was at that game in attendance, got a chance to see him come out onto the field um, and take that honor. But, yeah, you know, just uh, you talk about a guy, you know, um, not much was as expected of him, but you know what? It, it never slowed him down a bit, and he absolutely was. He was the enforcer on the back of that defense. And it's funny when when we first got the list of finalists, I talked to with a buddy of mine who played safety uh, for years, and I said, "But you know, I, I was kind of shocked he didn't have more interceptions. Uh, you know, only twenty nine. Um, I, I knew that." Um, that they, I mean, obviously they don't throw it as much as they do in this generation. We're talking about the seventies here, but still, I, I, for some reason, I would have thought he would have had more interceptions. And he said, uh, "Austin, you got to remember too, they didn't have all these rules. Safeties didn't get interceptions in those days because they weren't looking for the ball. They were looking for the target." They were looking for the guy who was going to catch it. Back in those days, they were looking to punish somebody. They weren't like, the, the, the turnover was no matter. You know, so, and I said, well, you know what? That kind of defines who Cliff Harris was. You know, is the ball coming? Okay, well, then where is it going? Oh, there he is. Let's go get him. I mean, that was Cliff Harris, guys. It's, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, a, a fun guy. You know, obviously, you know, the, get, getting a chance to watch him isn't the same as it is nowadays where you can get on YouTube and you can just find any clip from any game. You know, it's a little more difficult to, to watch film on some of those years. But, boy, you get a chance to see it. Cliff Harris, man, there's just some fun highlights of him. Um, a return man, too, during his time. So, uh, so definitely well-deserved. Now, on the other hand... The original 88 is still not in the Hall of Fame. Basically, the uh, the back half of the reason we have the term Hail Mary is not in the Hall of Fame. And it's just... A guy that was deemed one of the top two wide receivers throughout the 70s because he is on the 70s all-decade team, and now is the only person on that team, I believe, that is not in the Hall of Fame. 
Very disappointing to me. Um, and, 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 and I'm sure everybody, you know, Drew, Pe- Drew Pearson's a character. You know, and, 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 you know, we've seen guys like Charles Haley be damaged a little bit based on his reputation or based on, you know, just his character through his playing days. You, like you said, Charles Haley, a guy that was, you know, we, we talked about this, uh, a guy that was bipolar, you know, um, and, and, and really, you know, you know, struggled, you know, sometimes with the way, I, I mean, and he, he was, he was somebody that a lot of people, you know, did not like the way that he acted or treated him. And it took him a while to get into the hall of fame. That's not exactly what true Pearson is. Drew Pearson, like I say, a fiery competitor, definitely a character. All Cowboy fans remember that draft in Philadelphia where he gets up there and he just absolutely trolls the, you know, the the Philadelphia fan base and they're booing him and he's only getting louder and louder. And, you know, and then David Akers, you know, comes out the next year and kind of gives a C minus effort, you know, compared to what Drew Pearson did the year before. But, but, you know, that's just what Drew Pearson is, man. He's a competitor. He's passionate. Uh, he loves this franchise. He loves this game. He, I know he loved playing it. You know, in the short conversation that we had, you know, talking about playing the receiver position, not only for the Dallas Cowboys, but during his time at the University of Tulsa, you know, he was um, – you, you could just still see that the fire inside him was still there for this game. Uh Coach Ty, you know, I'm going to read this, just just the the starting, you know, the, the the basic stats out here for you. You know, 489 receptions, 48 touchdowns, 7,822 yards, um, one Super Bowl, three Pro Bowls, three times first team All Pro, one time second team All Pro, member of the '70s All Decade team. Coach Ty, I just don't get it, man. Help me explain, you know. Um, why why this guy is still not in the Hall of Fame? I mean, in a year, by the way, where we had 20 finalists, and I believe more than half of them from the senior group were getting in. I want to say they were supposed to put 11 in, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be. i got to go back and check my numbers. But this seemed like it was Drew Pearson's time. Coach Ty, help me explain it, sir. You know, I, I can't really give you a – an under an understanding or explanation that makes sense because there isn't one. Uh, you know, hat tip to Joe Trahan at Channel Eight. Cliff, I mean, uh, uh, Drew Pearson is not the not just the only 1970s All Decade team member that is not in the Hall of Fame. He's the only All Decade team member in the modern era that's not in the Hall of Fame. It's preposterous. I cannot understand why that would be the case. Um, you know, the the Pro Football Hall of Fame's voting a lot of times is in the hands of a very small group of people. Um, they rotate from time to time. But the one thing that, you know, we see, unfortunately, is that Drew Pearson continues to be snubbed by this rotating group of people. And I can't understand it. Like you said, 21 career playoff games, 68 passes. You know, 1,130 yards and eight touchdowns, averaging 16.6 yards per reception. Even in this era, that is an unbelievable number. You know, I, I just can't, for the life of me, understand what it is. 
And if you, you know, a lot of times you hear people talk about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, well, you have to wait until X person gets in because, you know, their numbers were this, this, and this. And so when that person gets in, then this person can get in, et cetera, et cetera. Which, again, that equivocation drives me bananas. Either the person was a Hall of Fame level player or they weren't. But, it, you know, let, let's go with that for a second. Let's act like that's any type of standard that's worth even looking at. Harold Carmichael got in today. Drew Pearson was a better receiver than Harold Carmichael. Period. End of story. I know a lot of Philadelphia Eagles fans may not like that I'm going to say that, but the truth of the matter is Drew Pearson was a far more dominant receiver. In fact, Harold Carmichael ended his career here in Dallas. Drew Pearson ended his career here, and Drew Pearson was the one of the most dominant players of his era. There's no reason this man should not be in the Hall of Fame other than the capricious votes of a few people who maybe they don't understand the era, maybe they don't understand his impact, but this is where some of these people who do not know football should not be able to vote. I just have to say it that way. Because no one who knows football in any sense of the word and has an understanding of the history cannot look at Drew Pearson and say that he doesn't belong in Canton. It's an impossibility. So the only thing that I can think of is that there's just a willing ignorance because he has not been voted in over X amount of years to continue to say, oh, well, I guess he's not good enough because they said so, whoever they are. And it's a travesty. There are a lot of people who have said the Pro Football Hall of Fame should fix this before the February 1st announcement that's going to talk about the modern players who get in. And I think they should. I, I yeah. think that this is something that is worth a, a groundswell in the media and worth a groundswell among players uh, to say that this is a wrong that needs to be righted. Yeah, you know, I, I I can't disagree with any of that, Coach Ty. You know, I'll say this much too. Let's not and and I know, you know, there are thirty one other fan bases out there that probably get sick to their stomach when they hear this. But let's not throw out the possibility of just a bias against the Dallas Cowboys, because for years. We were fighting for the Charles Haley's, the the Cliff Harris's, the I mean, and, and a number of other guys too that really belonged in the Hall of Fame. Guys from those those seventies teams, um, you know, guys that we really felt like were being passed over just because the Dallas Cowboys were the benchmark for an NFL franchise because we'd been labeled. America's team and we'd earned that reputation and 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 we built this franchise up to being the most and and and, and a lot of that has to do with obviously more you know people like Jerry Jones that are part of it now that have built this organization up to the most valuable sporting franchise in the in the entire world a lot of people you know a lot of people hate that they they get disgusted about it just no different than than I'm sure they do the New York Yankees or the Los Angeles Lakers or you know I'm I don't know how many y'all are soccer fans out there but teams like you know the Real Madrids or the 
the the Barcelonas or teams like that, you know, that are that are just constantly all oh, well, you know, just sought at, you know, seen by the fan base as the benchmark franchise for that particular sport. And and yes, I'm sure people, you know, all you know, you know, you get enough people out on there that aren't cowboy fans, and it's a love them or hate them, you know, thing. <clears throat> I'm, I'm sure that we get a lot of, you know, voters out there that might have that particular bias. Now, having said that, Drew Pearson, if there is one thing Drew Pearson does represent, it is, I mean, he steers into the curb when it comes to this bias. You know, that's the thing. Everybody thinks, oh, Cowboy fans and Cowboys players, America's team, they're so cocky, they're so arrogant, they're this. Listen to the Stephen A. Smiths, man. He just... I tell you, he is the uh, the he he is the pom pom girl for you know the Dallas Cowboys being you know arrogant and overrated and blah blah blah. And the funny thing is, is Drew Pearson steers into the skid when it comes to that. He is confident. He is borderline arrogant. Um, he has fun with it. This guy's not hateful. And you know, if you listen to his words after he was not included on this team. He didn't want to take anything away from the Harry Carmichaels or anybody that was on this. He felt they were all deserving. He just believes he is, too. So, yeah, we will discuss future Hall of Famers uh, on this franchise when we come back here on the Big D Beatdown. And we are back here on the Big D Beatdown. I'm your host, Austin Smith, joined, as always, by Coach Ty Rogers. And we are talking about the the recent news of um, the 2020 Hall of Fame class. Jimmy Johnson is in. Cliff Harris is in. Drew Pearson is not. Um, And, you know, truth be told, uh, you know, you're so excited for two of those guys. You're so disappointed for one. Um, I do believe Drew Pearson's day will eventually come. I really, really do. Uh, That's probably why I'm not more disappointed about it. But... We have other uh, Cowboys who could one day uh, be enshrined in Canton. Um, and two, you know, that we're not even going to talk about much because we expect them to be in as soon as they're eligible. Guys like Jason Whitten and DeMarcus Ware, you know, um, two of the more uh, prominent pos- players at their position during their time in the NFL. And to be perfectly honest with you, Jason Whitten's time isn't even up yet. He's... You know, he's still making a decision based on whether or not he will return again to the Dallas Cowboys next year after stepping away uh, for a year um, in which he retired and went to the broadcast booth. Um, But those two are not guys that I expect to have much of an issue getting into the Hall of Fame. Um, But there are some guys that could have an issue getting in. And then there are some others that are kind of right there on the borderline. Um, we're going to start with uh, guys that could be in for a similar um, Drew Pearson-like situation where you just wonder if they'll ever get in. Um, and, and let's start with with Darren Woodson, Coach Ty. You know, Darren Woodson, first of all, a model for everything you want in a, a football player. Not just on the field, away from the field. Um, as a teammate and as a leader, as a, you know, a guy that represented those 90s defenses for the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys all-time leading tackler, you know, Darren Woodson, um, 
976 tackles during his time here in Dallas. 23 interceptions. Talk about Darren Woodson, Coach Ty, and just everything he meant to this franchise on the defensive side of the ball while he was here. Well, I have uh, had the privilege of working with George Teague, who, you know, uh, Dallas Cowboys fans all know. And if you ask George about Darren, what he'll say is that Darren Woodson was the captain of that defense. Um, and that was the same way during the Super Bowl years. He was a guy who got everybody lined up. He was the most vocal, um, you know, safety uh, on the roster. He was a guy that was, like you said, the the model for character on that team. The guy who a lot of the young guys came to to kind of know what they were supposed to do and how to act like a professional. And on the field, Darren Woodson was not only a, a great hitter as far as being able to just knock the lights out of somebody, but he could cover just about anybody in the league. There was not anybody who was going to overmatch him. Now, granted, and people will say, well, he had Deion Sanders on one side, and so you know everything kind of got filtered back to him. But the truth of the matter is, is that even with that in place, if you don't have good safety help, you're going to get beat over the middle. And Darren, Darren Woodson never let that happen. Um, like I said, big, physical, strong. There's nothing about his build um, that you know isn't the the prototypical safety. Um, you know, he ended up. You know, his career on a lot of teams that were not so good for the Cowboys. And, um, you know, like I said, there are a lot of people who, who vote in the hall that take way too much consideration as to whether or not, uh, you know, a guy is part of a bunch of winning teams or whether a Super Bowl team or playoffs or whatever. Look, man, the guy can either play or he can't. And Darren Woodson was at the time, many, many years of his career, the prototypical and the best safety in football. So um, I, I assume at some point he is going to be in. He's kind of like those other guys that were mentioned a minute ago. Um, I think at some point they have to put him in because his numbers, what he did, his accomplishments are just too much. But, um, you know, we've seen the, that these voters can be capricious. The, like I said, the only takeaways is that he wasn't on teams at the end of his career that were very good. Um, but you can't penalize a player because they happen to be coming in, you know, as a young player at the, the end of a, an era or zenith of a franchise uh, and then, you know, penalize them because later on in their career they're not on teams that have those type of players. Uh, but Darren Woodson is definitely a guy that I think is a lock to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame at some point um, and was the best safety of his era. And it's hard to argue that. I mean, you know, Darren Woodson, a four-time first-team All-Pro. Um, 2002, I, I, 2002, he wins the Bart Starr Award for, for you know, uh, very similar to, I think, what, what the Walter Payton Award is now, although I, I think it's a little bit more well-rounded, whereas the Walter Payton is, you know, is, is all community, uh, you know, what you do for your community-driven. Um, <clears throat> you know, just a... A like I say, a model of everything you want a football player to, to be and a true innovator at the position. You know, 
It's funny. I remember Ronnie, you know, watching Ronnie Lott uh, and highlights of him, you know, in his prime. And, and I, I was lucky enough to, to see Ronnie Lott toward the end of his career. And it was, you know, Ronnie Lott, you know, <clears throat> the, the common phrase about him was, wow, cover, runs like a corner and he hits like a linebacker. And that's what you've got to do your safety. Darren Woodson was a linebacker coming out of Arizona State. There were a lot of teams that just figured, oh, this is a guy that's too small to, to play in the NFL at the position he fits best at. But this team had a different, you know, they, they had something else in mind. They said, no, we think he is athletic enough to play the safety position. And you think, look at what guys like Dave Campo did for him, you know, really <clears throat> helping him become, make that transition to a defensive back. Uh, you know, you look at what this team had in mind for him and, and everything that they could have hoped he would have become, he became and more. He became a line, a former linebacker that could cover man-to-man at the safety position, which is not something that we saw a lot from safeties at the time. Safeties were roamers. Safeties were guys that, that like like we said about Cliff Harris, that guy that sat back and and was wait just waiting to see the to read the quarterback's eyes, make a break on the ball, and hit whoever was going to catch it. Well, Darren Woodson, I mean, he was a guy that could not only sit back and be that roamer, but also lock up on a tight end, lock up on a, a wide receiver, and do it as good as anybody in the NFL could. At the position. All this from a linebacker. An undersized linebacker coming out of Arizona State. To become one of the greatest safeties of his generation. If not the best. Like I say, four times he was an all-pro. You know, and yes, his his career kind of ended with a little bit of a, you know, just abruptly. Thanks to injuries. You know, that we we all got so excited with that Roy Williams draft pick uh, coming out of Oklahoma, where oh my goodness, putting Roy Williams and Darren Woodson together, what what kind of monster could that be on the back end? But you know, I I just have to say, man, Darren Woodson, you know, I I, I truly hope, and I didn't mention this with Jimmy Johnson earlier, but I really did. I felt like Jimmy Johnson's constant involvement in the game helped his cause when it came to um, him getting into the Hall of Fame. The fact that, yes, he, he only coached nine years, whereas some of these guys, like I say, the Holmgrens, the Reese, they've got twice as many wins as he does. They coached much longer than he did, in the NFL anyway. But yet Jimmy stuck around the game. He got that job at Fox, and he has been there a long time. Darren Woodson, very similar. You know, now he's not a, he's not a part of... of ESPN uh, quite as much as he used to be. But for a long time, Darren Woodson was a face on ESPN. On their NFL primetime shows and things like that. I mean, Darren Woodson was constantly involved. He's been around this game consistently since his retirement. And I do hope that 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 helps him get in. I mean, honestly, uh, Coach Ty, is that your assessment? Do you really believe that Darren Woodson, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when? Yeah, absolutely. It's a matter of when. Um, I think that the body of work speaks for itself, like we said. 
I think that he's a transformational character. And again, I think anybody who's in the hall needs to be a transformational character. Um, when you look at the safeties, the modern safeties today, the Earl Thomases of today, those are the type of guys that Darren Woodson set the mold for. Um, where, you know, traditionally safeties have been quicker guys, maybe rangy, um, or, you know, or guys that could come hit, which are going to be bigger guys. They're going to be closer down the line of scrimmage. Now, you know, funny story about, like I said, with T is that I kind of asked him, okay, well, you know, if he was kind of the guy who's calling the defense and all that, uh, how can you play free and he plays strong? And he'd say, well, Darren wanted to be down there on the line of scrimmage hitting people. He don't want to be back here. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe that was the case, but Darren was going to cover anybody. And those are the type of guys that eventually the NFL has gone to at the safety position. Like you said, a converted linebacker. How many times do we hear that in the NFL today? Converted linebacker. Um, you know, and so those are the type of guys. And, again, if you think about what that eventually leads to, those are the type of guys that we look at now that help teams run that 4-2-5 look that a lot of NFL teams are going to which, you know, came out of the college ranks, don't get me wrong, but with NFL personnel. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a matter of time. And I agree with that. I agree. Now, the other guy we're going to talk about here is um, is Daryl Moose Johnston. And and we've talked about him before on this show. And it's, it's such a, a much harder argument for Moose because <clears throat> the, the, there's really no stats there. You know, but but – in the same sense, we look at offensive linemen, and, and, and that's the case. The stat that you need to look at when you look at Daryl Moose Johnston is Emmett Smith's the all-time leading rusher in NFL history. I, I, I think it's as simple as that. Daryl Moose Johnston was the epitome of a fullback, <clears throat> and he led the way for the most productive running back <clears throat> that this league has ever seen. So, you know, once again, Daryl Moose Johnson, another guy that stayed involved with the game after his time, you know, wasn't always on Fox, wasn't on Fox's A-team. That's, that went to, you know, Troy Aikman. However, Moose was always, you know, part of that, that next, that, that, that next pairing. And, you know, I, I just have to believe that Daryl Moose Johnston, that that his involvement, you know, will eventually at least get him a spot in the Ring of Honor for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, um, I just I gotta believe that um, that that might throw a little bit more weight into it. And like I say, hopefully the the constant involvement that Daryl Johnston has had in the broadcasting side of things, hopefully that can combine. I don't I don't think it ever will. Unfortunately, the fullback position is 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 honestly probably more like a special teams position where it's a, you know a punter. You'd have to really you'd have to play like a Shane Leckler as long as you possibly could. Had so many Pro Bowls built up at the position. You know, I don't think we'll ever see a long snapper get in the uh, the Hall of Fame, at least not for, uh, from a modern era. You know, uh, team, but uh, you know. I think that's kind of what a, uh, the fullback position has been, you know, kind of reduced to is, oh, you're a specialty player, no different than a kicker, a punter, a long snapper. And you know what? Those guys just don't get into the Hall of Fame, not unless there's just a long track record of excellence. Um, 
so so long that it can't be ignored. And at a position like he plays where it's constant contact, you're never going to have that. Having said that, do you see any path for Daryl Johnston to get into the Hall of Fame, Coach Ty? Um, yeah, I do. It's going to be a great challenge. But when we're talking about the history of the game, and we look at, like you said, that Dallas Cowboys team in the 90s, um, Larry Allen's in, Troy Eggman's in, Michael Irvin's in, um, Emma Smith's in. The only piece that's missing out of that group is Daryl Moose Johnston, uh, as far as a Hall of Fame level player. Um, yeah, we we had an argument about Eric Williams uh, and his role, you know, and possibility of him being a uh, a Pro Football Hall of Famer. I think Eric Williams was the most dominant right tackle in the history of the game, but because his career was cut short because of an injury, um, and how that happened, uh, I think that he's never, unfortunately, going to get in, and that's a, a travesty. But if you think about all those guys that I just mentioned, like I said, if you take Jer- Daryl Moose Johnson out of that group, they're not the same. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I think that the game has gone, the modern era game has gone, you know, into a, a spread look for the most part, and the fullback is a lost position. And at this point, you know, that's something that very much works against him. But you know what? Jack Tatum's in the Hall of Fame, and nobody plays a monster position anymore in the NFL. So those are the type of things that eventually someone's going to get to and say, hey, look, you know, yeah, I know that there's not a a stick it up in their fullback anymore like there was, but it's a part of the game. It's part of the game that was important. And if they do get to that point where they're looking at the game and realizing, hey, these guys, this position deserves, you know, some type of look. Um, then he, I think he'll be the first guy in because there's not a more prototypical fullback in the history of the game than Daryl Johnson. I, I would challenge anyone to name a fullback that was as dominant at the point of attack as he was. If you go back and watch film, and I've watched a lot of film, the '90s Cowboys. I uh, like to be an offensive line coach. Um, the '90s Cowboys offensive line is considered the greatest of all time. And the, the, the caveat to that is that they're the greatest of all time and Daryl Johnson. Um, because any scheme that you look at, anything that they do, he is the key point of attack block on 90% of those runs. Because even when they ran zone, Daryl Johnson was the lead blocker because they didn't run split zone like they did you know, in the modern day uh, game. For those who are a little bit light on the football vernacular, Split zones where the fullback blocks the backside end or the backside force player um, on the run, meaning he goes away from the play. In the day <clears throat> in the '90s Cowboys era, uh, the split zone or zone was run with the lead blocker coming out to the play side. So this guy was mobile. He was strong, and like you said, he paved the way for Evan Smith to be the all-time leading rusher. If People get around to really looking at football at some point. Like I said, the history of the game in that position, he will get a chance. But unfortunately, again, we just talked about a whole group of people that particularly with the way that they rotate may never really understand or value that position like it should be valued. And uh, that's going to work against him, unfortunately. But like you said, maybe his involvement with the media and maybe a class of writers who actually look at the game for what it is 
um, might combine to get him a, a shot. And it's unfortunate that, you know, it's a coulda, woulda, shoulda, because there is no greater pos- person who played that position that I can think of in the NFL. Yeah, you know, and then, you know, there, there's a possible, there's another possible avenue. I mean, he has gotten into some front office work now here um, with the XFL team down here in Texas and um, some player personnel work prior to that. Uh, just starting, at, now since he's left the broadcast booth, he started in that direction. <clears throat> it may not be long before maybe Daryl Johnson's getting a chance in a front office somewhere in the NFL and then maybe, you know, going from there. Uh, that could be another path. Here's the stat that just stands out with me. And this and this is going back to his playing days. This is not getting in as a both player and broadcaster or player, player broadcaster front office or anything like that. No, this is just a player. At one of the most violent positions that the NFL sees, the lead blocker back when we actually had true lead blockers in the NFL. A position, not offensive lineman, where you're, you know, the guy across from you is usually within arm's reach. And even if you're taking on a linebacker, you know, <clears throat> you're not exactly at a full speed collision all the time. The fullback position was constant full speed collisions. The most violent position, in my opinion. I mean, you could say running the, the tailback behind the fullback you know, could be the the most the most violent. The difference is tailbacks weren't always looking for contact. They were looking to get into the open space. You had guys juking, spinning, do all kinds of things like that. You know, yes, Earl Campbell and Jim Brown would much rather go through you than around you. But but you know, the tailback's job is to score. The fullback's job is to go straight for contact every time. Daryl Johnston played that position. For 149 straight games. 149 straight games. Without coming off the field with a serious injury. Guys, that's incredible. That is nothing short of spectacular. At a position where you are basically putting your body through a brick wall over and over again. Once every seven days. That is truly incredible. So, you know, yes, I, I would love to see Daryl Johnson some way find his way in. You know, we've seen Jerry kind of go on the war path for guys like Charles Haley, um, for some of these others as far as, hey, let's get him into the ring of honor and let's, you know, let's, you know, uh, things like that that have kind of sparked the, well, maybe, you know, gosh, yeah, we knew, do need to take a second look at this. Um I think if we were to put Daryl Johnston in the ring of honor, uh, I think that we would definitely, um, we would definitely, that would boost that. And like I say, maybe some of the outside contributions as a broadcaster or maybe in a front office moving forward uh, could really amp that up. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're, you're right. This was a guy who was everything you wanted at the position. He was probably, I mean, he was the best of his generation to do it. He was probably one of the best the game's ever seen at doing it. Obvi- obviously, I couldn't tell you, you know, uh, the, the tail on fullbacks going all the way back, you know, into the earlier Super Bowl years. But, but the bottom line is the best fullback I've ever seen with my two eyes, Daryl Johnston, you know, is at the top of that list. 
And uh, and and you know what? That means he should be in the Hall of Fame. Period. Period. I mean, Adam Vinatieri is a kicker. He's going to pro- he's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Shane Leckler, the punter I, I mentioned earlier, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. You know, that's I mean, because of how long they did it and how how terrific they were at it. I truly believe Daryl Johnson belongs in that category at his position, the fullback position. Coach Ty, let's close it up with this. You know, um, current cowboy that you think will get in. And like I said, we've already talked about. You know, we, we didn't go into too much detail on Witten or Ware because we, we, th- those guys are Hall of Famers. They're getting in. There's not going to be any issue with that. But when it comes to uh, to somebody that you think is kind of on the borderline, uh, more recent player, uh, who's the guy you're thinking? Uh, my choices. I'm going to put two. My choices are going to be Des Bryant and Tyron Smith. Um, I think Des Bryant, uh, although, you know, he declined a lot quicker than we would have liked him to as far as from a career standpoint. Um, he was at one point very much the most dominant receiver in the game. Um, I think that you look at his numbers, he, he, you know, holds several Cowboy passing records, uh, with a stable of receivers or the NFL hall of fame receivers for that matter. Um, and he was a guy who defined the big physical wide receiver in his time. Um, so I think he's a guy who's going to be borderline. Um, and then Tyron Smith, um, I, I think that when you look at the modern-day offensive lineman, he is the prototype. He is big, strong, fast, not fat, not immobile, um, tough as nails, and literally has locked down two quarterbacks' backsides so far in his career. Um, his injuries are going to be something that, unfortunately, are going to be looked at uh, because uh, pro football Hall of Fame writers, for some reason, want to do everything they can to, uh, to you know, disqualify an offensive lineman. But um, I think Tyron Smith is going to be your next guy up when it comes to uh, borderline. Yeah, you know, and, and the truth is, I mean, uh, Tyron, St- Tyron Smith, as well as guys like Zach Martin and Travis Frederick, they're, they're – their, you know, book is still being written. How many rushing champs are these guys going to block for? How many times is Zeke going to get it in his career? You know, he's already done it twice. Um, you know, DeMarco Murray was a rush champion. Tyron Smith was still here for that group. Um, I'm trying to remember if um, – I, I don't believe Zach Martin was Travis Frederick. I'd have to go back and look. But the bottom line is, I mean, I mean, they, they – the, Tyron Smith's got three rushing champs to his name. And, you know, moving forward, there's a strong chance we could have, depending on this Mike McCarthy offense, uh, there's a strong chance we could have, you know, more. But, um, you know, the Des Bryant point, that's really the one that I really have my questions about. He's he's the one, I that's what I would say. Uh, 70, you know, the, 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 the league or the, the franchise leader in touchdown catches. Jason Witten... Ended up one behind him, uh, you know, and and like I said, we don't know if Witten's going to come back next year. If so, I would probably put it a strong chance that he does pass Des Bryant on that list because, like I say, he's one behind him. Um, but 73 touchdown catches, um, 7,459 receiving yards. Good, not great. The longevity could have helped there. Um, I, 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 you know, 
with the with the difficulty that Isaac Bruce is having getting in, and some of these other receivers, you know, have had getting in. I kind of wonder if the if these voters still aren't figuring out how what we're going to do about this passing era with the people that are most lar- that are largely you know beneficiaries of it the receivers the tight ends the uh, quarterbacks you know and I I have to say you know I I I'm not sure if Des is 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 going to have it and you're right his career did abruptly end I mean he got released here. And suddenly he couldn't find another job or there was uh, maybe, the, you know, if you l- listen to his side of the story, there wasn't one he was willing to take. And and, and on top of that, you got to throw in, hey, the, 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 the voters have not exactly been, you know, extremely, you know, uh, compassionate towards some of these players that had their issues away from these fields, had their issues you know, in locker rooms, you know, were, were detrimental to some efforts when it came to winning. Um, we saw Terrell Owens did not get in on first ballot. He thought that was part of it. And, you know, whether you think that that's, that's an accurate way to grade him or not, you know, I, I, I personally think, yeah, you've got to take that into account. At the end of the day, this is about you being the best football player you can. Part of being a great football player is being, you know, is being a part of a winning effort. There were times in Terrell Owens' career he was not part of the winning effort. Oh, sure, his stats looked great, his numbers looked great, but him chewing out a quarterback or a play caller on the sideline or throwing a tantrum was completely counterproductive to a winning effort. We could say the same thing about Des Bryant. There's been times he has been counterproductive to a winning effort. And so there, there it does lie that, that hey, you know, that, that could be another thing that holds him. Des Bryant's going to be the very interesting one to me. I, I think he's going to be that one right there on the fence. He is, like I say, the Dallas Cowboys all-time rece- leader in touchdown receptions. That bodes well in his favor. Hey, you know what? Darren Woodson is this team's all-time leader in tackles. We'll see how much weight that eventually, you know, has if, if it ever gets him in. Uh, right behind that, you know, Tony Romo. I'm scratching my head on Tony Romo. I just don't know. We don't know. I don't even think the voters know yet. We are just now starting to get to these quarterbacks from the passing era. The Peyton Manning, you know, that that that's a no-brainer. The Tom Brady's, Drew Breeses, you know, those will be no-brainers. What won't be a no-brainer is the Eli Mannings. Ask New York Giants fans, they'll give you a big question mark on that one. A lot of them will tell you no. Phillip Rivers. Matt Ryan, who's got an MVP to his name. A lot of these guys I'm naming are right there in the same class as a Tony Romo. Maybe even a hair higher. I mean, let's, let's not forget, Romo has not had any success in the playoffs. Matt Ryan's been to a Super Bowl. Phillip Rivers, you know, probably the same as Romo when it comes to playoff success. But at the end of the day, I mean, the Eli Mannings, the guys like that are really going to tell the story about whether Romo gets in as a player. Now, I'll say this much too. Romo, once again, 
got an opportunity, you know, to to have post playing days, you know, influence on that. Doing a heck of a job for CBS. Matter of fact, Coach, I don't know if you read this uh, the other day. ESPN is reportedly offering him somewhere for as much as sixteen million a year to be in their broadcasting booth. I would assume that would be Monday Night Football. So obviously, hey, you know the the possibility of him getting in as a contributor lies there as well. Coach Ty, you want to close this show out with telling me uh, what your thoughts are on Tony Romo's Hall of Fame chances? You know, uh, it's the 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 passing year will be very interesting to see how it plays out. Um, you know, Tony Romo's a great story. We we you know again a lot of times people forget he was you know free agent backup. You know, ended up taking the starting role in the middle of a game, um, you know, in a dismal season for the Cowboys. Like you said, had it has multiple records for the Cowboys franchise wise, um, you know, has, uh, you know, brought a team that was not winning games and back into a situation where they were competing uh, to be the NFC East champions, where they were in the playoffs. But he didn't have the success that people thought he was going to have in the playoffs, uh, unfortunately, and, and that works against him. Um, he had the injuries also, and a lot of people, whether they say it or not, when a quarterback gets injured and is not able to play a couple of seasons like he was, they hold that against him too. Um, you know, the involvement in the media is a way that very well might get him there. He may be the next John Madden. He may be a guy who – at the end of his career, he is uh, celebrated for what he did in the media, and then also uh, people remember what type of football player he was. Um, but when it comes to pure numbers and then looking at the comparison to the quarterbacks of this era, I, I just don't see it. I think he falls just short. Um, and, you know, that's a terrible thing because Tony Romo is a likable guy, um, and I think somebody who really did some amazing things in the NFL that he doesn't get credit for like he should, but – Ultimately, when it comes down to what's on paper, which is a lot of what most pro football voters uh, care about the most, yeah, I think he's going to end up falling just a little bit short. Oh, some of the some of the most breathtaking moments in Cowboys history. I mean, some of the throws and and I mean, yeah, just think about uh, you know the the snap over the head, twenty yards back. He chases it down. He picks it up. He avoids a sack attempt or two just to fire it down the field. I mean. Uh, Romo, let's be honest, guys. Romo, there are plays that Romo made that will go down as some of the greatest individual plays in Cowboys history. But I agree with you. I think think he's on the short end of it. I think he's on the wrong side of the line when it comes to his playing days. Let's hope that a, a, a long-time career in the broadcasting booth, or who knows, maybe one day he even comes out of that booth and he puts on a headset and he decides, you know, that he wants to, to coach a football team. You know, maybe that could be it. Um, gosh, Coach Ty, $16 million a year. I'm, I'm pretty sure they said somewhere in the range of ten to $16 million a year. Coach Ty, we're not getting paid enough. Hell, we're not getting paid at all. You getting paid, Coach Ty? Um, not that I know of. Uh, I was gonna say, check, check may be in the mail, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, all for our listeners out there, uh, you know, we're, 
we're going to be uh, hitting up some uh, some new uh, ventures and some new uh, um, you know markets, and uh, we're going to be found a little bit uh, more readily on the internet. Hey, start clicking those buttons, man. Uh, you know, uh, me and Austin need to get paid. <laughs> I tell you what, sixteen million a year. Good for you, Tony Romo. Good for you. Hey, Coach Ty. You know what? Change of plans. Let's end it with this. Does Jimmy Johnson, Hall of Famer of the 2020 class, Jimmy Johnson, ever get into the Ring of Honor? Wow. Um, I'm going to say yes, uh, even if it's Jerry's last move as <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys or or post, uh, post you know, posthumously uh, given the permission from the grave to his son Stephen to do it. Uh, hopefully, you know, Jimmy will still be alive. Yeah, no, you no kidding. I was gonna say posthum. That that could be it. You know, we maybe not even Stephen. Maybe it's grandson. You know, um, that uh, that ends up doing it. But no, that had right. Uh, John Paul Jones from Highland Park. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're already telling him, "Hey, bud. You know what? When that day comes, thirty years, forty years, however many years down the line it does, he needs to be in that ring of honor, sir. Don't you listen to what your grandpa says? He needs to be there. If if dad won't do it, then you got to do it. I agree with you, sir. I think he gets in there at some point. I hope it's Jerry Jones that does it. And you know what? I hope it's in. At this point, we're past him doing it in a timely fashion. But I'm with you. I hope that it's still when Jimmy Johnson is relevant, when he's still part of Fox, when Jerry Jones is still relevant with these Dallas Cowboys. I don't want it to be some backdoor thing. I don't want it to be, like I say, Steven or, or, or whoever's next in line. You know, I don't want that to happen. It needs to be Jerry doing it while Jimmy is still relevant. And, you know, that, that, that time is, is coming. He's a Hall of Famer now. It's about time, Jerry, you know, hey, you've already admitted in your own Hall of Fame speech about your regret for it. You know what? It's time to just bite the bullet and do it, Jerry Jones. And we're going to wrap up there, Cowboys fans. Thanks for listening to us today, and be sure and join us next time when we are going to dig down into the details of what Dak Prescott could need or could be asking for on this next contract and more importantly is that a realistic market for him because you know everybody everybody gets kind of trapped into this term market value without people ever actually having to hit the market and see if that's truly their value we're going to get into a a serious conversation about that next time on the Big D Beatdown. And don't forget to visit us over there at Pigskin Nut, guys, the soon-to-be undisputed king of football news and podcasts, where you can find everything that we do on the Dallas Cowboys. Remember, if you want quality football analysis with independent opinions from people who know and understand the X's and O's of the game, head on over to Pigskin Nut. Remember, guys, it's Pigskin Nut for those crazy about football. Also, if you like what you hear, be sure and subscribe to our show. We're available on a variety of platforms. The Big D Beatdown is available in the Apple and Google Podcast stores, as well as on Acres, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Podbean. Click that subscribe button, and they'll notify you every time we put out an episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Big D Beatdown. I'm your host, Austin Smith, joined as always by Coach Ty Rogers. Have a good one, Cowboy fans. <laughs>